I'm excited to get to talk to you this morning about God's power and His, His majesty uh, as we continue this series on His attributes. And this may be the most exciting one till next week when we hear, learn about His love. Uh, Isaiah 40 is where we are this morning. When I was a teenager, uh, a little place called Golden Corral opened in Gonzales, Texas, which was about 30 miles from where I grew up. And I'd never been to a Golden Corral. In fact, we didn't eat out a lot in my family. That just wasn't something we did. Uh, but I knew, I knew that there were these four little words that are the most beautiful words that any teenage boy has ever heard. And they are all you can eat. And so my brother and I, my brother was four years younger than me. Uh, we both just begged our dad, come on, can we please go? Can we please go? And so one Sunday morning, he surprised us. He said, okay, today after church, we're just going to go. We're going to go try it out. And so that was the longest sermon that Brother Mike ever preached at Hope Baptist Church. And I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I really wasn't thinking about the Lord at all. I was thinking about food. And, and then afterwards, we drive. Uh, we make that long drive and, and we get there. And I remember walking in and, and seeing a girl behind the counter who was about my age. And, and that makes what's about to happen even more embarrassing because uh, my dad goes to pay. And while he pays, my brother and I, we grab our plate and our napkins and our silverware, et cetera, in our little tray. And I noticed that about two feet away from the register, there was this big, like a big punch bowl and it was full of lettuce and tomatoes and it had a set of tongs inside of it. Now, in my defense from what I'm about to tell you, you know, growing up where I did out in the country and not eating out a lot, I, I hadn't seen a whole lot of salad bars. The ones I had, you know, like at Pizza Hut, just a little short thing with, with maybe some lettuce and tomatoes and a couple of other options and and some fake bacon bits and, and your redneck trinity of, of salad dressings. So, so ranch and, and Thousand Island and Italian. And that's pretty much all you got. And so when I saw this punch bowl, I thought, okay. And I start loading up my plate. Now the girl who again is like my age interrupts my dad who's paying her and says, uh, excuse me, that's for display. The salad bar is over there. And she points over my shoulder and I turn and I see these acres and acres uh, of, of salad and bread and meat and desserts. And there was like a soft, sea, soft serve ice cream machine. And there was an angel choir singing and it was just the greatest thing. And, and I, I turned back around and I'm embarrassed. So I start scraping my salad back into the bowl. And she goes, no, 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 you can keep it. Now I have a younger brother, right? He's four years younger than me. Some of you have younger siblings too. Some of you are the younger sibling. Can you even begin to comprehend the mockery, the ridicule that I had to put up with. How many times my brother told and retold that story at lunch that day, on the way home, that next week, when we went back to church the next Sunday, and every time it would end with the same thing. It would end with him saying, did you really think that's all there was? Did you really think that little bowl of salad that was what we drove half an hour to get to? And you know, of course, I'd take him out and beat the snot out of him, and then it would happen again. So I, I tell you that story to say, we have a tendency as human beings to think too small, and especially when it comes to God. I, I hate to say this because I, I know that probably many of you are very, very sincere Christians. In fact, I know many of you are very sincere Christians, but there's a tendency within Christianity today to treat God like a, like a small-time gangster. You've seen mob movies, right? Gangster movies where the, the, local, the local mob boss, you've got to pay him your tribute, once a month, once a year, and he makes sure that your store doesn't get burned down or robbed. He makes sure your kids don't get bullied in school. And that's sort of the relationship a lot of Christians have with God, that, that it's just sort of like, I, I, 
I go to church, don't want to, but I go to church. I, I put my tithe in the offering plate. I do my best to follow the commandments. Now, God, you're gonna come through for me, right? You're gonna protect my kids and you're gonna, the doctor, next time I go in for my checkup, he's gonna give me a good report and my bottom line is gonna be okay. Or to put it another way, we treat God like we treat multivitamins. I know a lot of us, now most of you are younger than me, so maybe you haven't gotten to this stage, but I take a multivitamin every day. My doctor tells me I should. And if you're like that, what you've noticed is you don't take a multivitamin the next day you get up and you can run a marathon, right? You don't, you don't see any discernible change. You're just taking it every morning thinking, okay, surely this is working. I don't know that it is. I, I'm, I'm going to do it just in case. And I think that's, a, that's the relationship a lot of folks have with God is I'm going to go to church. I'm going to believe this stuff just in case there's something to it. You know, it could be one of these days I'll need it. And I think God looks at us and says, do you really think that's all there is? Do you think you're experiencing all that I died to give you? Or do you think you're settling for something far less? God is awesome. He's the inventor of awesome. And one of the best chapters for showing us this is Isaiah chapter 40. Now this was written to a group of people, the, the Israelites, who had lost everything. Now here we are on the eve of our nation's birthday and, and we feel patriotic and we should. We can't even comprehend what it would be like if another nation came and conquered our nation and suddenly there was no more America. Suddenly we lived in a foreign land, not by our own choice. No one spoke our language. No one worshiped our God. And we were bottom of the, of the social totem pole. And, and that's what Israel was going through at this point. They're living in Babylon. As far as they know, God has completely forgotten them. And so God gives them Isaiah 40 to remind them of who he is. And here's what he says in verse nine. That's where we're gonna start. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So he's saying, you think you're forgotten, but somebody needs to stand up and say, stop looking at your problems and look at me. Stop looking at your enemies and look at me. And you'll remember that you're wealthy, that you're free, that I'm in control, that you've got everything. And we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Uh, Brad upstairs is doing a great job keeping up with me and, and putting them on the, on the screen. You might want to have your Bible open too, so you can know where it is. But we're in Isaiah chapter 40, and it shows us certain things about who God is. And these are three truths you're going to want to know if you don't already. Number one, our God can do anything. And that is what theologians call God's omnipotence. The word omni means all, potence means power. In verse 12 of chapter 40, Isaiah writes, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So he's talking about how all the earth, this place where we live, this big blue ball on which we live that just seems so massive, God's got all of that. He created it. He knows it intricately. He has it in his hands, but that's not all. In verse 26, he writes, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. What's he talking about? He's talking about the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So God didn't just make this world, he made the whole universe. 
Uh, one of my favorite authors is Philip Yancey. He's written about how our solar system that we live in, you know, the earth is just one of, of eight planets in our solar system. It used to be nine, and then they demoted Pluto, and I'm still a little sore about that. Uh, but, but these eight planets revolve around this massive yellow ball that we call the sun, and, and we think it's huge. And it is huge. You know how huge the solar system is? Some of you remember this. You're old enough to remember in 1977, uh, the United States launched the Voyager unmanned spacecraft that was to explore the solar system. In 2012, it finally reached the end of the solar system and kept going. That was 35 years. It took 35 years for the most advanced transportation system humanity could make to make it all the way through our solar system. That's how big it is. And yet, the solar system is just one of 100 billion other solar systems in our galaxy, which we call the Milky Way. You want to know how big the Milky Way is? Okay, this is going to blow your mind. So imagine... You could shrink the universe to, to the size in which the solar system was small enough to put in a coffee cup. So sun, earth, Mercury, Venus, et cetera, et cetera, fit, in, fit it in your coffee cup. If the solar system is that small, the Milky Way is still the size of North America with 100 billion other coffee cups in it. And that's just one of hundreds of billions, infinite numbers of other North Americas in the universe. And God made all of that simply by speaking it into existence. And not only that, he knows every one of the stars by name, all of the planets, and he knows you and he knows me. And in verse 15, he goes on and says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. In verse 22, he writes, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. So the same way a housewife is able to manage the affairs of a house and make sure the bed is made and the floors are swept. That's how easy it is for God to order the things that happen on this earth. Every nation, every person in every nation, he's got it. He's got it figured out. And God is not impressed by the power of earthly armies and governments and rulers. We have this tendency in America to call our president the most powerful man on earth. Not even close. No, not even close. God laughs at that. Every single president our nation has ever had is going to have to stand in judgment before a holy God someday and give an accounting for how they led our country. And don't you think there's going to be some splaining to do at that day? And not only them, but every ruler who has ever lived, every king, every monarch, every dictator, every prime minister, every president, including the presidents and, and leaders of nations that are on the earth today are, are, are hostile places for the people of God, like North Korea and China and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Cuba and on down the line, places where God's people are imprisoned and worse for their faith. They will answer for that before the Lord God, and it will not be a pleasant day for them. Some years ago when I was at my former church, I went to student camp with our, our students and uh, back then, this, this will tell you how long ago it was, the song, Our God is Greater, was popular. If you don't know it, the chorus goes, Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. And during lunchtime, I overheard a conversation at another table, and I wasn't brash enough to go over there and join in and correct this guy. But it was a youth leader from another church, and he was telling his table, you know, um, you know I go to a Christian college, and 
uh, we sing that song in our chapel services, and I really wish we wouldn't because there's some students at our college who aren't Christians that come from other faiths, and, and they're offended at that, that it sounds like we're saying our God's better than your God. And I wanted to stand up and say, well, I'm sorry, but he is. Listen, believe me, we should be extremely kind and respectful to people of other faiths. We should treat them exactly the way we would want us to be treated if we were living in their country. We should treat them like Christ treats us. But it's not rude to say our God is the one true God. It is not arrogance to say our God is the greatest and the strongest and our God can do anything because he can. And that's not something we should be embarrassed of or make an apology for. Our God can do anything. Number two, our God knows everything. And that is his omniscience. Omni and then the word science, which means knowledge. God knows everything. Verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Sometimes we as human beings get arrogant and we think, you know, things ought to be this way or, or God ought to do this. God doesn't need our advice. He knows everything and he is never wrong. I love it the way it puts it in Romans 11.33. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. If you follow God long enough, you will experience moments where you can't really tell what he's up to where things in life just seem to be chaotic and you think, okay, God's either gone away for a while, he's ignoring me, or he's up to something that I can't comprehend. And you know what? If you stick with him long enough, you always look back and go, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I see. And it takes faith to understand God answers every prayer we pray exactly the way we would if we knew what he knows. His ways are unfathomable, but they are always right. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 30, even the hairs of your head are numbered. God is saying, I know you better than you know yourself. I hope there's no one in this room who knows how many hairs they have on their head. That, that would be a little bit too uh, narcissistic, right? But, but God knows that stuff about you. He knows. He cares. See, God knows the answers to all the questions. Even the questions that plague us the most. Questions like, what do they ship styrofoam peanuts in? Right? Who knows? God does. Why is the word abbreviated so long? Why do they call them apartments when they're stuck together? Shouldn't they call, be called togetherments instead of apartments? Uh, why can't women put on mascara with their mouth closed? Uh, why, why do they put Braille on the drive through machine at the bank? That really worries me. I don't know about you. And here's my personal favorite. If toast always lands butter side down, and it does, and cats always land on their feet, and they do, what happens if you butter the back of a cat and then throw it up in the air? I, I don't know. I don't, now listen, I don't recommend that any of you do that, but if you do, I want video, because I gotta see this, right? God knows the answers to those questions, but even more importantly, God knows what's wrong with our world. God knows why we are in such a mess. And God knows exactly what it's going to take to fix it. God knows what you're going through today, what you went through yesterday, and what you'll go through tomorrow. And God knows the solutions. God knows because he knows everything. And then third, God 
is everywhere. This is his omniscience, his, I'm sorry, his omnipresence. This is not pantheism. Pantheism says that God is everything. So a rock is God and, and the sun is God and the trees are God and the animals. No, that's not, that's not the God of the scriptures, the God who exists. The God who exists created all that stuff, but he is everywhere. He is everywhere. Verses 27 and 28. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. See, Israel had gotten to the point where not only did they think God had forgotten them, some of them were taking advantage of that fact and saying, okay, if God's forgotten us, then I can, all bets are off. I can do what I want. I can take advantage of my neighbor. I can, I can, I can do what I want to do and not even ask forgiveness because God has taken his eyes off me. No, it says, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There's a story about a, a Catholic preschool, or elementary school, where one of the nuns put a sign up above this barrel of this basket of apples in the cafeteria and the sign said take only one remember God is watching and then when lunch came around one of the little boys went to the table where the dessert was and just started loading his plate with chocolate chip cookies and he got at least a dozen and one of the other students said hey man you're gonna get in trouble and he goes no I'm not God's watching the apples <laughs> wrong God is everywhere God can see everything one of the most beloved of all the Psalms is Psalm 139, right in the middle, verses seven through 10, David writes, where can I go from your, from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God's omnipresence is good news and bad news for us. The bad news is you really can't get away with anything. If we're honest, all of us have done things that we thought we got away with. We lied to someone and they didn't call us on it or we, we took something and, and no one caught us. Uh, we hurt somebody and didn't really face any consequences. Oh yeah, but God saw. There is no perfect crime. There, there are no, there are no uh, victimless crimes. God sees and God knows. So we never get away with anything. But the good news is that means that God, God never takes his eyes off of us, which means that he is always there for us. That means that when you call on his name, he hears and he answers. As I said earlier, he always answers exactly the way we would if we knew what he knows. And that means that God will hear your prayer and answer your prayer no matter what, even if you haven't prayed in years. You don't need a letter of introduction. You don't need, to, you don't need me to go and introduce you to God and say, okay, God, remember, remember Joe? Uh, I know Joe hadn't talked to you in a while, but no, God knows. He's there. Even if you've committed what you think is the unpardonable sin, he still hears and he still answers. Even if there's a billion people praying at the same time you are, somehow he hears your voice and he answers. You can believe all these things. Listen, you can believe all these things and still not get it. You can believe in a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent, and you can still not know him. C.S. Lewis pointed out that the devil is the best theologian in the world because he knows everything there is to know about God and believes 100% of it, and he's still the devil. 
It takes something else. It takes surrender. There are some of you perhaps, I don't know because I'm not the Holy Spirit, but perhaps some of you who are just playing the religious game, treating God like a small-time mobster, you've never really surrendered your heart to Him. He's a just-in-case. He's fire insurance. And I want to tell you, today needs to be the day when He comes and changes your heart and you surrender it absolutely to Him. There are perhaps others, I suspect there probably are because there usually are in a room this size, who would say, I believe, I know He's my Savior, I just don't believe He cares that much. How could He care that much about someone like me after the things that I've done, after how little I've contributed, after how little I seem to be capable of? Why would a God who knows all and sees all and can do everything, why would a God like that care about me? And that's where we get to the, to the most famous part of the chapter, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I think most of us have heard those words. Have you ever thought about why it goes in that order? Because it seems anticlimactic. It seems like he would start with walking and he would end with flying. Why does he do it in this order? I don't know because I've never actually spoken to Isaiah. I look forward to that day in heaven. But until then... I heard a preacher once explain it this way. I don't know if this is true. I can't remember the preacher's name. I just, I think it's true. I think this is right. It makes sense to me. You ready? He said, there are times in our lives, maybe a handful of times in the course of 80 or 90 years on earth, when we need supernatural power or we're not going to make it. We need a miracle. We need the ability to do something that no human can do to, to fly. Then there are times more frequently when we just need the strength because life has gotten exceptionally stressful and exceptionally hectic, we need the strength to outrun our enemies, to outrun our obstacles, to outrun our griefs, to outrun our failures. We need to be able to run and not grow weary. But every single day, we need the strength to get up out of our bed, to get off our couch and to walk and not faint. We need to press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to follow his footsteps and live out the life he created us to live. We need the strength to walk and not faint. And so the point of this is, whatever you need, God gives you exactly the amount of strength and power you need for that moment, no more and no less. And if you're walking with him, if you're seeking him, you've got it. But that's not even the best part. That's a hallelujah, but that's not even the best part. The, the eminent New Testament scholar D.A. Carson said that when Isaiah writes that those who call upon the Lord will renew their strength, in Hebrew it has a meaning that's more like they will trade strength. So think about that. It's like God is the strongest and the best and he comes to you and says, here, I'll, I'll take your weakness. You can have my strength. I'll take your foolishness. You can have my wisdom. I'll take your sinfulness. You can have my righteousness. That's exactly what the gospel is. You can go to church your whole life and miss this. If you miss this, you've missed everything. It's not about how good you are or how strong you are or how smart you are. It's about you coming to God and saying, I need to trade strength with you, Jesus. Because at the cross, that's what he did. He took our failure and he gave us his righteousness. He took our death and gave us life. If you made that trade, 
Have you come to him in your brokenness and your fallenness and your frailty and said, I need you, Lord, or I'm not going to make it. I need you to change me. I need you to save me. Because if you haven't, in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's what I want us to do right now. See, I want you to realize God is standing over us saying, listen, think about what you've seen of me so far. Do you really think that's all there is? Don't you know there's so much more than you ever imagined? Don't you know there's so much more to me than you've experienced? Don't you want to get there to to get to enjoy all of me and my power and my glory and to see it made manifest in your life and in the community around you? So I'm going to lead you in two different prayers and I'm going to need you to tell me who needs to be prayed for this morning. So the first question I have is, if you're someone who would say right now, right now, I want my church family to know that I'm in one of those points in life where I need a miracle. I need the power of God to enable me to do more than I ordinarily would. I need God to come through for me right now. I need my church family to pray for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand so we can see? Anybody? Yeah, I see a few hands. Raise it up so people know. Listen, if you're around one of those folks, or you see a hand, pray for that person. If you don't know their name, God does. Would you pray with me right now? Almighty God, we just, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters around this room and at home. Everyone that you know who is struggling. And you know what they're struggling with. Some with, with grief, Lord, some with, with stress, some with poor health, some with relationships that are breaking their heart. Lord, any number of things that are going on in their lives that only you can solve. And I pray, Almighty God, that you would bring about a miracle in their hearts, transformation, new life. I pray, O Lord, that you would do a miracle so big and so awesome that it would change them forever and that everyone who knows them would be convinced that you are God. O Lord, for the rest of us who right now things are pretty good, I pray that you would prepare us for the day that comes in the distance, sometime in the future, when we too will face an impenetrable wall or an an unsurmountable obstacle that you would give us the faith to trust in you and to call on you for a miracle and to trust you for it. Lord, we know that you are the one true God and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to ask you a second question. If you would say... When I look around this world, I look around my community, I look in my neighborhood, I look in my school, I just see so much brokenness, see so many problems, and it breaks my heart, and I want to see God come down and change things and make things right. Would you raise your hand if that's how you feel? Yeah, I hope all of us feel that way. So here's the thing. God feels that way too, even more so. And He has a plan to solve it. The thing about God, though, that we don't often realize is his plan to solve it almost always works through the local church, not just First Baptist Conroe, you know. I mean, every church in this community, every church around the world that preaches the name of Jesus as the one way to salvation, no matter their denomination or any ways that we disagree with them on secondary matters, we are teammates on the same army. We are are fighting the same battle with them and God can use us. God wants to use us to solve the problems of this world, to bring about redemption. As that For us, that's those transforming relationships that we talk about here at First Baptist all the time, those 10,000 we're trying to get to by 2030. So I want to ask you to pray with me one more time, and let's pray that God does great things through us. 
Lord God, on our own, we're just a bunch of people. A lot of people that I love and and appreciate, but we can't do anything. And yet, by your power, we can turn the world upside down. Lord, forgive us for thinking so small when it comes to our church, for, think, for being discouraged when we look at our world, for feeling like we're, the, we're on the bottom, that we're losing the battle. Lord, you are winning and you will win. And I pray that we would be part of that victory. Lord, show us how. Teach us to love our neighbors like we should and to seek you first. Wean us, oh Lord, from our idols, our idolatry of, of sex and money and power and politics and approval and greed. Lord, all these things that distract us from you and bring us back to our one true God. That you would see your power made manifest in us. That future generations would look back on this period of time, 2022, and say that's when the revival started. That's when things started to turn around. Because you are God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.